Today we are continuing our sermon series, learning how to speak good news to our neighbors about Jesus. One of the things we want to learn today is that human hearts can easily mishear good news. Last week we talked about the need to learn how to speak good news to various different kinds of people so that uh, there's no one-size-fits-all way to do evangelism. This week, what we want to do is notice the fact that there are some profound assumptions in our world about religion that can easily cause people to mishear the gospel, the good news about what God has done to redeem the world through His Son, Jesus. We read last week a passage from Acts chapter 16 about the good news going for the first time into the country of ancient Greece and particularly the city of Philippi and a jailer who is tasked with putting two Christian missionaries in prison, Paul and his partner Silas. We're going to read that same passage again this week because there were some assumptions at work in ancient Greece and ancient Rome about religion that caused that jailer to be in a position to really mishear what he was going to be told about Jesus. And as we'll see, the Apostle Paul takes the time to lovingly help him so that he won't mishear the good news. Let's listen as we hear this week's scripture reading from Acts chapter 16. Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 16, verses 28 to 34. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray before we get ready to look more deeply at the scriptures. Oh, God, we were just singing that our labor is not in vain. The labor that was done to prepare this sermon was not done in vain. The labor that was done by many others to translate the scriptures into a language that we can understand was not done in vain. The labor that's being done right now by people in their homes as they're working hard to hear and understand the word and and as they're working even harder because they have to work harder to pay attention through a screen than if we were all together in the same place. None of that labor is in vain because your Holy Spirit will be with us teaching us now. We thank you for that gift and pray that we would be ready to receive it. May we learn all that the Spirit teaches us through the Word today. Every one of us, no matter where we are, we pray in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Rolling Stone magazine is a monthly uh, pop culture magazine. I, I share that because not everyone would know that. Some of us are familiar with that publication. In 2015, Rolling Stone published an article about the relationship between religion and American country music. Now, we don't have time to explore all of those details. What caught my eye was, was a, a reference in that article to a singer named Carrie Underwood and a song that she had called Something in the Water. And uh, if, if you listen to that song, you quickly gather that it's about baptism and more than just baptism. It's about baptism and it's about the way that someone responds when God changes their heart. Now, as you read the article, what Rolling Stone magazine had to say about that was interesting to me because it used an and where there was no and in the song. Their comment was, this song uses baptism, well, let me show it to you, as a symbol of spiritual transformation and self-improvement. Spiritual transformation, that would be God's part in changing our hearts, what he does. He's the one who transforms us. Notice the and. Baptism, according to Rolling Stone, in this song by Carrie Underwood, is a symbol of two things. God transforming someone's heart and the way that we have to improve ourselves. What's so interesting to me about that is that if you listen to this song itself, there is no and. There is nothing in the song about self-improvement. Everything in the song is a great summary of the gospel message we find in Scripture. God changes us because of what He's done through Christ. And everything in the song is a fleshing out of that, a response to what God has done. Why did Rolling Stone hear an and where there is none in the song? Well, the answer is, one of the prevailing assumptions about religion in our world is that there has to be an and. Is that, is that religion involves God doing something and we have to do something. And, and that's our hope. That's the foundation for everything we believe and everything we do. God plus us. Our trust and confidence is in the and. That's a common assumption in our day. So common, in fact, that many people will hear that and when it's not present at all. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 16. Roman religion, based on a foundation of Greek philosophy, as the two had merged together in the ancient city of Philippi, had prepared this jailer for an and moment. And so he says, because he's afraid for his life, remember we said last week, He's afraid that prisoners have escaped, and so the authorities may want to take his life. He's also recognizing that something supernatural is happening, and he is not prepared, and he's been mistreating these missionary representatives of this God he doesn't know. So he's afraid, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I am ready to, to accept whatever you tell me, and I am ready to go do better than I have been doing. I haven't been making the right sacrifices to the right God. So if you will tell me right now, I will believe and do better. 
I will find the right altar. I will make the right sacrifice before the right God. I'm ready to believe and do better. And then the Apostle Paul just says back to him something very simple that keeps him from mishearing. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. No and. Not believe and go find the right altar. Not believe and go make the right sacrifice. Not believe and go do better. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a moment when the good news about Jesus could have been misheard because of the assumptions that were so prevalent in Philippi in that day. But God used his people. He used Paul. He used Silas. We read in verse 32 that they, Paul and Silas, went with this jailer and spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They took the time to explain this good news about Jesus so that it wouldn't be misheard. Human hearts can profoundly mishear the good news about Jesus. That's one of the challenges we face in our world. But God uses his people to love others so that we won't mishear. Now, to do that, we have to identify what are some of the assumptions about religion that are at work in our world. How do we we know that others we speak to about Jesus might be ready to mishear what we're going to say? Can we identify that beforehand so that we can show what's distinctive? about the gospel. What are the main religious assumptions of our day? And how is the gospel different? Those are the two questions that I want us to answer together today. We're going to start with one religious assumption. I'm going to call it moralism. Other people uh, might call it legalism. And if you uh, were to listen to the sermons or read the writings of Pastor Tim Keller, he calls it simply religion. Now, he does that because his, his observation is that many religions around the world across the centuries have really been some version of moralism, some version of what we're about to say. This, this assumption about religion begins here. It begins by saying the world is broken. We are broken. Our world is broken and in need of healing. We are broken and in need of healing. What can be done about it? Is is this healing possible? Is there redemption beyond the brokenness? Moralism says the answer to that question is yes. Yes, there will be redemption because of what God will do and what we will do. Now, Pastor Keller says that most religions tend to become this over time, even if they don't start here. Maybe a religion begins with trust in what God will do, but over time the human heart adds the and. And so that many of our religious expressions and beliefs become ultimately this confidence in what God does and what we will do. Now, That's exactly, uh, you know, captured in that quote earlier, isn't it, from the Rolling Stone. Listening to this beautiful song that has no and, a song about what God will do, 
but they hear it through the lens of moralism because the, the people writing for Rolling Stone don't really have a category to assign religious people to. And they assume our religion is ultimately this kind of moralism. So, no matter what the words of the song actually are, we hear it through this lens of and. Oh, this song is about what God does, transform someone spiritually, and it's about what we have to do to improve ourselves. That's the fundamental expression and assumption of moralism. That's one of the prevailing and uh, most common religious assumptions at work in our world today. Redemption will come because of what God will do and what we will do. Now, there's another major religious assumption at work in our world. It's called humanism. That's the word I'm going to use for it. Uh, Pastor Keller calls this secularism. And if, if, if you were to study 20th century history and look in the 1920s and 30s, it'd be called modernism. No matter what language you use to capture this, humanism has a couple of core beliefs. One of them we've already talked about shares this in common with moralism. Humanism acknowledges that our world is broken and in need of healing. Humanism acknowledges that, that something's wrong with us and it needs to be fixed. We're broken. We're, we need repair. Can there be redemption? Humanism would say, well, yes, there, there can be redemption. The brokenness can be repaired. The damage can be healed. How will that redemption come? There will be redemption, humanism says, because we will get it right. Now, does this mean that humanists never talk about God? No. Humanists will often talk about God. But when the chips are down, when push comes to shove, when something real has to be fixed in our world, God will often get pushed to the side. And what matters most is we will get it right. And if God speaks to us in the scriptures, that helps us to do our part in getting it right. And if God is out there, that's good. But sometimes we just have to leave him on the shelf because something's at stake and it's so important that we have to get it right. That's the fundamental instinct of humanism. There will be redemption because we will get it right. Now, one of the important things I want us to do is, is, is to, to understand that we can't say these things about our world if they're not true. And so let's, let's see that, that this attitude really is at work all around us. It's at work in pop culture I'm going to read a line from a song by Lady Gaga. The song is called Stupid Love. And uh, I was just kind of scrolling through the, the current Billboard Top 100. And you get down around number 20 and you find Stupid Love by Lady Gaga. And here's this great expression of humanism. Nobody's going to heal me if I don't open the door. It's hard to believe, but I got to have faith in me. That's a great expression of this religious assumption we're talking about, humanism. Can you, can you see how if a Christian were to walk into an environment where someone thinks this is what faith means, faith means I got to trust myself to get it right because if I want love and there's this longing and this aching in my heart, 
Nobody's going to give it to me unless I open the door and get it for myself. If, if you show up and you start talking about faith in that environment, somebody's going to assume, oh, we're talking about faith in us. If you start talking about Jesus in that environment, somebody's going to say, oh, Jesus is the one who helps me to open the door. Jesus is the one who helps me to have more faith in me to get it right. That's not good news about Jesus at all. But that's the way that humanism will understand good news about Jesus. If we aren't careful, nobody's going to heal me. If I don't open the door, I've got to have faith in me. I've been wanting love so long, the chorus goes on to say, it's all I ever wanted. I know it's stupid love, but if I want it, I am trusting myself to get it right. So even if it's stupid, it's right for me to have it because I want it and I got to trust myself. I'm going to get it right. Well, that's humanism expressed through pop culture. How about humanism expressed in the context of politics? Here's a quote from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was part of his press conference on April the 14th. Let me just read what he said, and then we'll think about it a little bit more together. Our behavior has stopped the spread of the virus. He's obviously talking about the coronavirus. God did not stop the spread of the virus. And what we do, how we act, will dictate how that virus spreads. Now, my point in quoting from Governor Cuomo is not to evaluate what kind of leader he is. And I certainly do not want to deny that human action in response to the coronavirus crisis is really important. If you understand good news about Jesus, here's part of the good news. Jesus uses us to work his redemption in the world he is the one working redemption our trust is in him not him and us but he will use us so there's no simplistic understanding in christianity about you know we'll just ask god to stop the virus and we don't have to do anything and governor cuomo is rightly reacting to that kind of simplistic simplistic misunderstanding of prayer when he says God didn't do this, our behavior does it. My point here, not to deny that human action is important and not to evaluate his leadership, but simply to show that humanism is a very common assumption in our world. This hard division between what God does and what we do, and in a moment of crisis when the chips are down and something has to be done, We're going to trust ourselves to get it right. There will be redemption because we will get it right. That's the fundamental posture of humanism. Do you see how good news about Jesus could be misunderstood in our world? Because we may enter into a conversation with someone who's going to mishear everything we're about to say. If we talk to a humanist about faith, the humanist will say, that is a great resource to help me get it right. I will add Jesus to my bag of tools for me getting it right. And if you say to a moralist, here's good news about Jesus, that moralist might hear you saying, oh, Jesus is going to tell me how to be a good person. 
So some of my confidence will be in him and some of my confidence will be in my power to do better. So I will listen to Jesus as he tells me how to do better. But the gospel is so different from either one of those perspectives. Those things will exhaust you and leave you worn out. Let's listen to how the gospel is different from these two prevailing assumptions in our world. The gospel says our world is broken and in need of healing. The gospel says we are broken and in need of healing. This is really important for us. At this point, we find common ground with everyone in our world. There is no one who lives in this world who says, yep, this is about how it ought to be. Yep, nothing broken here. My heart is whole. How about yours? There is nobody who lives in this world who would disagree. Our world is broken. It's in need of healing. Something is wrong. So here we share common ground with moralism and with humanism. This is important because as we learn to share good news about Jesus with other people, we should never mock or caricature what others believe. We don't make fun of beliefs that are different from our own. And we should never give a simplistic understanding that isn't accurate, a caricature. So if we go back to Acts chapter 16 and we read what happens there, here's this, this jailer from Philippi who has been conditioned by the moralism of, of Roman religion to say, I am ready to believe whatever you tell me and I'm ready to go do better. I'm ready to go find the right author and make the right sacrifice. What must I do? He's got the and. I'm going to trust the God that you serve and I'm going to go do better. And the response of Paul and Silas is not to mock that man and to make fun of him. It is actually to speak in a loving way that clarifies so that he won't mishear. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You don't have to believe in him and go do better. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's the answer to your question. Now, of course, they had a lot more to say. If you read the text, verse 32 says they spoke the word of the Lord to him and everyone in his house. So they spent more time unpacking this. But what we want to see right here, right now, is, is that the gospel doesn't ever give us grounds for mocking people who don't believe it. The gospel doesn't give us grounds for caricaturing the beliefs of other people. We can stand on common ground with anybody we have opportunity to share good news about Jesus with, especially when it comes to this point. The gospel, just like moralism, just like humanism, says we're broken and in need of healing. Our world is broken and in need of healing. But this is where the gospel is so different. The gospel says there will be redemption because of what God has done through Jesus. At the end of the day, are we trusting that there will be redemption in the world because we get it right? No, we will, there will be redemption in the world because God got it right when he sent Jesus to be 
the Savior, the Redeemer. At the end of the day, are we trusting that there will be redemption in the world because we're trusting God and we're doing better? No, (laughs) no. Our trust is in what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. So it helps us to summarize this by just looking at that one word, believe. The jailer in Philippi says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus. Well, what does that word believe mean? According to the gospel, the word believe means trust Jesus completely. Trust everything that God has done through Jesus to redeem you, to redeem the world. Trust you because Jesus really is who the scriptures say he is. Rely on him completely. Trust him completely. Put all your confidence in him. That's what believe means according to the gospel. Trust Jesus. Trust everything that God has done through Jesus completely. Moralism might use the same word, believe. But if a moralist were standing in Philippi and heard, believe in the Lord Jesus, the assumption would be, believe means, trust God and do better. Right? That, uh, that's the assumption of moralism. You tell me to believe, and I'm, I'm hearing, oh yeah, great, I, I'll believe, I'll trust God, and I'll do better, right? That leads to exhaustion. That leads to a place of constantly trying to do better, better than you've been doing, better than others do. And if you can't actually do better, then you have to spend a lot of energy wearing yourself out pretending that you're doing better. Humanism. Here's the word believe and assumes it means trust yourself to get it right. Or trust us to get it right. We're trusting ourselves to get it right. I'm going to trust human goodness guided by reason, guided by my experience, guided by my own sense of being true to who I am. Humanism says I'm going to trust myself to get it right. The reason I can do that is that there's a goodness about me. There's a goodness about us. And if that goodness is just shaped a bit by reason and experience and being true to who we are, then everything's going to come out right. Ultimately, that's going to lead us to a place of great anxiety, though, because we're going to ask the question, what if we don't get it right? What, what What if my ability to reason isn't as good as I think it is? What if I'm wrong when I try to distinguish what parts of my experience I should trust and which parts of my experience aren't worth building my life on? What if at the end of it all, stupid love really is just stupid? I'm trying to fill this hole in my heart. I want to be loved. And and if, if I don't open the door, nobody else will. But what if I open the wrong door and it turns out to be Stupid. The anxiety that comes from those questions is something that the gospel sets us free from. When we trust Jesus 
completely, then we get to rest from the exhaustion of doing better. And we get to rest from the anxiety of getting it right. We get to rest in Jesus and trust Him. So, we've referred to Stupid Love by Lady Gaga. I want to refer to one last song. It's by a a group called We the Kingdom. It's a song called Holy Water. If you listen to this song, you'll hear this really powerful and intentional summary of the gospel. Good news about Jesus. Will I grow? Will I change? Will there be redemption in my life and in my world? The answer throughout the song is yes, but it won't come because I'm trusting myself to do better. It won't come because I'm trusting myself to get it right. It will come because when I trust Jesus, I am overwhelmed with grace from God. And so the song begins with this confession, I need you, oh God, I need you. And it repeats over and over and over again as the song goes on. And then you just get this wave that crashes over you of delight in the goodness of God given to us through Jesus. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. And it starts singing about taste. And then it's about sounds like the sound of a symphony to my ears and touch like holy water on my skin. And this sense of my whole self being overwhelmed with goodness from God because I'm resting in Jesus. That is the good news that we embrace as Christians. That is the good news that we get to speak to our neighbors. That is the good news that we get to speak to our city and to our world. That the grace of God will change us. This song, Holy Water, ends with this repeated refrain. God, your grace is the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Humanism will call us to great action because we have to trust ourselves to get it right. Moralism will call us to do a lot as we strive and strive and strive to do better. The gospel will really deeply change us because we get the rest from the weariness and the anxiety of trusting ourselves. We get to trust Jesus. What a joy! What a privilege to get to embrace that truth and to share it with others. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, your goodness is beyond anything we could understand. How you would come into a broken world and and seek out lost people who thought that the brokenness could be healed Maybe with a mixture of you and us doing better. Or maybe without you entirely as we just try to get it right by ourselves. And even as we're so eager to trust ourselves, you would be our redeemer and change our hearts and invite us to trust you. Thank you for your patience with us as we grow in our trust. Would you help us to invite many to believe and rest in you. We pray in your name. Amen.